was quite pleasing to hear some of you asking intelligent questions on the Paticca Samuppada. <laughs> <laughs> it's a teaching that is generally uh, pushed aside because it's uh, if approached only from from the theoretical intellectual plane, it it uh, seems a bit bewildering or complicated. It complicated, but you can see as you apply it to your actual experience, mental experience, then then the thing comes to to life. It, you know, so I've been very helpful in understanding the mind. How many people in this world really contemplate the the way things are, and what is desire, what is grasping, becoming? These are not just a kind of theoretical views, as if this wasn't actually going on. Or it happened, or as if it happened to somebody else. But as you begin to witness, these these words, these concepts, are helpful in 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 looking and examining. That's the value of conventions. They're they're the tools we have for the looking at it in a particular way at something. Then the Paticca Samuppada, of course, it, it doesn't really happen in a sequence uh, that you can observe, can you? You can't suddenly just observe avicca, bhajaya, sankara, and then the next moment, the next moment we observe sankara, bhajaya, vinyanang. Can anyone do that? <coughs> because it's an, an instant, isn't it? And so you your your uh, but you can you can uh, you can take that particular form and contemplate it now, due to the limitations of language you can only have these kind of linear relationships of one thing following another and you can't say two words in the same moment say if you could say a vidya Sankara in exactly the same moment. <laughs> so, due to the limitations of language, you have to re- you see that that is a function of the mind, in which you have one, and the first, the second, the third, the fourth. So, it always has this this appearance of stages and steps, and <coughs> this goes to that. But these are teachings for contemplation. Contemplating them no longer, not, not from the theory or an abstraction, and not an abstract theory, but applying them to experience, to the way things are. And this is why we say that it is bhajatang, or each one has to le- see for themselves, because obviously what somebody else tells you is not your own experience, is it? It's not, it's a, it might be very true what they're saying, but still it's only, you're hearing only the words of someone else. So the enlightenment is to be known each one for themselves. It can't be given or it's not a, a, it's not a belief. Again, to, to, to use the word consciousness or vijnana as, a, as that discriminative function of mind, and <coughs> rather than say, the, because sometimes consciousness in, in its general usage in English, in Western, uh, the Western psychology is, it's, um, it, it has a kind of like there's someone, somebody who's permanently conscious, isn't it? It has a, it's more like a, a person 
or a soul that is conscious, conscious being, and we can talk about consciousness, the universal consciousness, or the raising of consciousness. Uh, we, well, this is a kind of Aquarian age terms, the raising of consciousness. <coughs> And this word consciousness then is applied to, is, is made the equivalent to vijnana. And if you actually kind of contemplate it very much, see that they're not really the, exactly the same. I remember going to a, this uh, mystics and scientists uh, conference years ago in the Recon Trust used to have these mystic and scientist conferences in, this was in Winchester. And I was one of the mystics. <coughs> I certainly wasn't a scientist. And the, and the other mystic was uh, Warren Kenton, Sister Chandasiri's old pal. Who's the other mystic of a Jewish Kabbalist. And then the rest were scientists, so some from, from quite well-known ones, uh, some, several from America. Charles Tart, who has, uh, I think, written books on, textbooks on extrasensory perception, and then a, a, a leading neurosurgeon from the States and, and a British biologist. And I noticed then how that the that this weekend of uh, kind of um, talks of these different people that the, what was lacking was a that we were all speaking English, but we didn't really have agreements or real understandings of the meanings of the words. We all had our own each one had their own way of they just the word consciousness wasn't we weren't using it in exactly the same way. We hadn't agreed on the definition or how that, what that word would really apply to because we made the assumption that we all knew what it meant. <coughs> that it became obvious that, that each person had their own particular interpretation. So one could feel a kind of futility in talking with them because we didn't actually have a common language to speak. Did we? We didn't, we didn't agree on the terms. And this is where, <coughs> even though we all assumed we were speaking the same language, we weren't. There's, we were speaking uh, Buddhist, Buddhist English, and then there's capitalist, ca- uh, capitalist, uh, capitalist English, and then there's uh, English biological English, and then there's the American neurosurgeon English, and the extrasensory perception psychologist English. So I thought it was a really a waste of time. I came away thinking, what a waste of time. <laughs> now here in this community, you see, was through, through the through the investigation of these teachings, we, we are actually beginning to agree on, the, on how to use the terms and what they apply to. It's not like the terms themselves have any kind of absolute perfection in, and that they, they are uh, something that we have to kind of bend ourselves to. We have to learn how to use conventions and agree, make agreement so that we're using them uh, in, the, in, in agreed ways, so that then there's understanding possible. <clears throat> there's no understanding possible if we each use the conventions our own way. And then we cannot no, no longer communicate. And, what's, and that's the whole purpose of convention, is to be able to communicate something, isn't it? What other purpose is there? To be able to, to live in some kind of harmony and be able to communicate with each other. If each one of us starts developing our own language and our own conventions, we might be brilliant in, in our creative creativity, but possibly 
will be totally incomprehensible to everyone else. Now the, the, the Dhamma is, is taking a language or language that is a very, like the Pali terms themselves and the, these particular teachings are very, very skillful conventions for looking at the mind. So we, begin, we can actually start just breaking, even in reflecting our own particular <coughs> attitudes and condition, conditioned attitudes uh, and opinions about the mind that we have from our own culture, from our own psychology. Because it does reflect. Uh, when we try to find the exact, ex- exact equivalence, <coughs> we sometimes think that languages are, are just different sounds but produce exactly the same words. So that uh, you can make literal translations. That's what the hope is, that somehow you can translate Pali literally into English, word for word. But it doesn't work that way, does it? When you get these, these kind of, some ridiculous translations that are quite literal, word for word, but have lost the whole kind of spirit and the, and the real profundity of the teaching. Each language, in fact, has its own kind of qualities, like with Thai, to try to give literal translations from Thai to English. Is, you miss out a lot, because Thai language depends very much on, on its uh, tonal qualities. So, I mean, you can say some marvelous things in Thai. Very, you can make very clever puns in Thai because of the, the structure of its language, which do not come across in literal English translation <laughs> as being clever or funny. And yet in Thai they, they can be very, very clever, brilliant puns and ability to do that with, because of the particular type of language that, that, that allows for that, which English doesn't allow for that, that kind of... Uh, we can't do it in English. It's impossible. So in translating Thai literature sometimes into English, it comes out rather flat. Mm. Unless you can get someone who has a, a real understanding, a real kind of feeling, uh, artistic feeling for both languages. The, the uniqueness of the particular Buddhist approach is is the uh, is the anatta, the realization of anatta, no self, because the particular way of thinking, in this structures of like the four noble truths, and the paticca samuppada, that particular style of reflection uh, allows the the uh, changes the way of looking changes the way of thinking from the self-view of the soul and me, the kind of absolute, to the anatta, the not-self. And you can see it in English, the problem lies in the fact that not-self sounds like, like an annihilation, doesn't it? And this is what, what frightens people about Buddhism, is that anatta, there's no self and no soul, the kind of absolute uh, a position that one takes as a Buddhist. Because English or European or American Buddhists can be really kind of annihilationists. Oftentimes people that hate God and resent Christianity become Buddhists. And so that because they, they've got this grudge God and the soul and sin and guilt and, and all this kind of thing, they really, uh, people have some gr- really bitter attitudes. And so they, they, they want Buddhism to be a kind of atheistic philosophy and a kind of total rejection of the whole Christian experience. But that's not what it is. It's not, 
not, not atheistic or nihilistic or annihilationist. Though that's, that's uh, then the Buddha made it very clear that that was an extreme that he avoided. That whole tendency towards nihilism and annihilationism. So it's a very carefully and skillfully constructed psychology in which all the habitual attachments, attitudes uh, out of ignorance, fear and desire uh, that create this illusory sense of a self are seen through and, and let go of. If you practice with this in the right way, then that, that's actually what happens to the mind. The, 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 the atta- one really can begin to see the suffering and misery we create over these illusions about ourselves. And we're not trying to create an illusion that there isn't any self. It's not, that's not the point, is to just go from the illusion of self to the illusion of no self, but to witness, investigate, contemplate, and insight, and have the insight, and the budgetang, the ineffable truth, is realized, each one for themselves. Now, Buddhism has made itself quite us, uh, you know, th- for for two thousand five hundred thirty years now. It's it's managed to survive as a and, and keep its purity. I mean, it's still Buddhism is still is not a corrupted religion, even though there are various corruptions around. In, in there, one can still find. The pure forms—they're not—they're not cluttered over or hidden, and that is because it, in its approach, the the agreements on the conventional plane are very clear. Say the the bhikkhu sangha, for example, the Buddha, the vinaya discipline, and the all that is, made it very clear, very uh, 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 that the conventional form was to be like this was that the, there was to be a sangha and they, they were to live in, in, under this particular discipline. So that, that conventional form has, has managed to survive. Then the Dhamma teachings. So we, each one of us, even though on the personal level we have our unique experiences, we all aren't experiencing exactly the same things, are we? And the qualities, quantities. Uh, of mental experience, we each one have different uh, memories, experiences, tendencies, habits, and yet we relate always these these infinite varieties to Dhamma teachings, so that we we're not just each one interpreting, make a totally subjective interpretation. Uh, we 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 apply the Dhamma teachings to experience in order to be able to communicate and understand it in a context that is wider and, and uh, than, say, just personal subjectivity. And this, I see, is where, where oftentimes people go off is on religious uh, experiences, is that it's, 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 it's interpreted too subjectively. It's not, it's not put through into a form that is that can be communicated. It becomes more or less a, a unique personal experience rather than a universal realization. And so like with Christian Gnosticism, you you ended up with some pretty with you know, all kinds of very strange uh, subjective experiences or interpretations of, of mystical experience. And then the church Roman Catholic Church at the time said, this is madness, and banned it all. Because each one with, with each Gnostic had their own particular way of talking. And there was no 
no agreements on, on how to interpret. But you realize in, in the teaching of the Buddha, he very much established during, after his enlightenment, those 40 years that followed, a whole way of thinking and conventions that we still have, that are still exactly the same. It's not, they're not changed. We don't, we don't change and bend, bend it all to fit our personal experience. We, we measure our experience with the teaching because the teachings are so skillfully made that, that they cover and, and easily, uh, what do they call it? It's the elephant's footprint. All other footprints fit into the elephant's footprint. I think the Buddha said, this, my teaching is like the elephant's footprint. All other teachings can fit into it. It was made on the grand and wide enough scale so that all other footprints, the dog, the cat, the mouse, the horse, the boar, the rooster, so forth. All other footprints fit into it, into the elephants. Now, to be able to train yourselves to think in this way is not like, it's not brainwashing. You're not, it's not a defensive uh, affirmation type of thing. We're not, we're not, we're not just repeating uh, doctrines like, uh, out of uh, just, just uh, on, the, on the condition level of this, uh, uh, the party line. But you can see we're, we're actually, like with Paticca Samupada during this retreat, really trying to see what that means as, as, as truth, as, as, you're, as each one of you are experiencing it. They're actually using your mind, wakening your mind, uh, and, and developing that wisdom and intelligence, which is not a conditioned thing, not just, just being able to think rationally, but to think to, and to use thought for insight, for contemplation and reflection. So in, in, in our contemplation of Kapatita Samuvada, we just need to, we're coming to more kind of agree, agreements and understandings of what these terms actually mean as far as, and how to, how to best translate them or convey them in the, in the English form. Because I, at least, I think all of you, when you first read Paticca Samuvada, you don't get it at all. Avicca, Bhajya, Sankara. Ignorance, conditions, karmic formations. Kind of meaningless, doesn't it? Karmic formations condition consciousness. Consciousness conditions name and form. So what? What does that mean? Then it goes on, and you know, and you think, I suppose it's very profound and very, you know, it take a lifetime of, of studying Pali and so forth to be able to get it. So it tends to be just kind of brushed aside. The same with the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths in Buddhist circles and the, oh yes, basic Buddhism. Suffering, origin, cessation, path. Yes. Now let's get on to the real, the, the more interesting advance. Madhyamika Buddhism. Or what did Dogen say? Soto and Rinzai. And Milarepa is absolutely fascinating. Isn't it? Fantastic stories. And, and, uh, get into the real interesting stuff. Mm. 
really, avijja, bhajaya, sankara, all the suffering, the origin, cessation, and path. Yes, we know that. Now let's get on to the, to the real, real nitty-gritty. And so that what, so Four Noble Truths tend to be kind of a kind of perfunctory uh, beliefs. People don't, don't investigate or look at them or use them. Very seldom, I've, I've seen. In, 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 even in Theravada, which is supposed to be the kind of protector of that teaching. But if you, because the teachings in themselves are not interesting, are they? I mean, you can't really find that inspiring, suffering, origin, cessation, and path. It doesn't kind of lift you up and inspire the mind. It's not an inspiring teaching, because it is a teaching for practice. It's not a teaching to, to inspire, it's a teaching for practice. And this is it's, it, this is what what why we we use it because it helps us to it the, the very that particular way of thinking and contemplating is very uh, psychologically valid in which we can begin to understand that which we've never seen or understood before. So in doing this, you're actually developing your mind and intelligence in a way that is very seldom done. Very seldom done these days, even with the most advanced educations. People don't really train their minds in, in this particular way. It's, it's very rare. Toward reflection and contemplation. We're very fond of, of conditioning the mind with rational theory and, uh, and going off on that. But uh, and to... to to think rationally is highly regarded, isn't it? But to to understand what rationality is as a function of mind, it, you have to reflect on the nature of the mind, what it actually what what actually is happening, what is it all about? And of course these are the questions of existence, aren't they? The existential questions. Why was I born? Is there a meaning to life? What happens when I die? What is it all about? Is it meaningless? Just a, a cosmic uh, accident? Is it, or is there some, some significance? Is, it, is this just a step or a stage? Is this, what is this in relationship does it relate to anything beyond itself? Or is this merely just, just the, uh, in some, something that happens and then that's it, that's the end? Because in the position we're in, uh, within this, uh, within the limits of our human, human condition, We can't really. We, we we have great problems with relating it to anything to anything real beyond just the material world. So materialism becomes the 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 kind of reality for us. As, say in modern uh, the modern Western societies, materialism has become the real world. Where say in in tribal societies or even in in uh, the pre-scientists, European civilization, it wasn't. The material world wasn't the real world. It was the, the spiritual world was the real world. How do you think they built cathedrals? And art and all this came from a real sense of, of the spirit, of aspiration, of the human, human connected to something beyond just the material world. There was a, a looking toward something beyond just the the physical body and its needs and its comforts and the material plane. But in, in modern 
Western society, very much the, the emphasis has, has dropped from the skies and the heavens. You know, the, we explore the space. It's always on the material plane, isn't it? We want to go up in rocket ships, in airplanes, take our bodies up to the moon, and then we go up to Mars someday, take my body up to Mars, the physical body up to the physical planet. Because that's reality, isn't it? According to materialist view, that's what's real. The, the elements, the four elements, earth, fire, water, and air, Well, that's a very coarse attitude when you think of it. And you realize that somehow our civilization has become very, very coarse because of it. It's lacking in subtlety and refinement because Western materialism uh, brings us down to a very coarse plane, a very coarse level of consciousness where reality is, is, is this, this gross material objects. where even the, the emotions are dismissed as not being real because you can't, you can't, uh, because they're subjective, aren't they? You can't, you can't, uh, you can't go around saying an emotion and kind of hold it out and, every, and, and the doctor or the scientist kind of measure it with electronic instruments. So emotions aren't real, are they? To many people, emotions are, are you know, subjective neurotic problems that people have, but reality is Seiko, Quartz, this clock was given to me by Venerable, Rev, the Venerable Terasawa of the Milton Keynes Peace Pagoda. Do you remember? That's actually true, he gave me this himself. <laughs> 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 and emotions, of course, are what are very real to us individually, aren't they? How we, what we're feeling is, is really more important to us than this, isn't it? I mean, uh, our fears and desires are in, in loves and hates and, and all that are what really make our lives happy and miserable. It's not this, isn't it? This doesn't have really that much effect on one's life. I forgot, forget about it most of the time. It's only when I give retreats here <coughs> that I remember this. It's not terribly important to my life, this clock. But the, the, uh, but the uh, actual emotion the feelings that one has, the fears and the desires, the aspirations. And yet these can be dismissed in modern materialism for a world uh, based on just material or sensual pleasure and wealth, money, making money and... and uh, rational thinking. So the spiritual life also, to many people, is just an illusion. The spirit, because you can't, you can't bring the spirit and, and, and measure it with, with a uh, computer or examine it with electronic instruments. It's something, it's budget tongue, isn't it? It's each one must realize it for themselves. So you're getting to a to the subject, to very sub to subjectivity, but the Buddha takes subjectivity to the very center of the universe, the still point, the silent still point, the very center, the axis of the universe, so that the subject 
is not a personal subject. It's not Ajahn Sumato's views or this. It's not personal. It's not. It's not. Any, it has no, it does, the, the, that very still point is not anybody's or anything. And so in meditation, you're, you're, you're moving toward that. You're letting go of all these, these attachments and identities to the changing conditions of the material world, the emotional plane, the intellectual plane, the symbolic plane, the astral plane, all that is, is let go of to realize the still point, the stillness, the silence, which is not annihilating anything, any of the rest of it, is it? It's not, it's not that it, it's an annihilation, a rejection, but it gives you the perspective to understand the whole from that because you cannot understand the whole from, the, from, from being out on the circumference. You just get whirled around and everything looks different from that position. You have no perspective. Now being whirled around on the circumference means that you're, you're lost in attachments to all the things that are whirling around. It's called the sangsara, the vata sangsara, so that you're just going around in circles. And you can't get any perspective that way on anything, can you? You just, you just, you just have no ability to, to stop and watch or observe because you're, you're just caught in this circular movement. So that meditation in, in this way of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, Paticca Samuppada, is that you actually stop, you, you actually abide in the stillness. Not as an, not as an attack against the, the, the conditioned world, but in order to see it in perspective. You're not annihilating it, judging it, criticizing it, or trying to get out of it, in fact, in, in any way of, through aversion or fear of it, but getting to the center to the still point where you can see it for what it is and know it and not be frightened by it and not be deluded by it anymore. And, the, and then we do this within the limitations of these forms. So it does look like a personal kind of experience. We can say it, it, each one for themselves. Bajjitang vetidapo vinuhi. Each one for themselves. Or we talk about has has Ajahn Tiratamo has he realized that or is Chandapalo or is Sister Sundra have they these people these persons because that's how it looks isn't it when we're sitting here with eye consciousness and yet that still point is not is not in the mind is not in the body not like in the yeah, some, you can't find it in the heart of Ajahn Tiridamo or Sister Sundra. It's not, it's not something that you kind of, that, that is in the body, but it is, this is where it's ineffable. It's, it's uh, maybe the, the whole, the mindful, the full mind or the still point isn't isn't like a point uh, of uh, with, within the, within the brain. But you're realizing that universal silence, stillness, oneness, where all the all the rest is a reflection and seen in perspective, and the personality. All the, the karma, the differences, the varieties, uh, and all these things are are no longer deluding us, no longer blinding us, because we're not grasping at them anymore. So when we say 
when, when we contemplate avicca bhajaya sankara, then, then we're, we're, we're beginning to see, at the, as, we, as we examine the mind more and more, as we reflect on it and contemplate it and consider and learn from it, we all begin to realize the stillness of mind, which is always present, but which can, is, with, with most people is not even know, noticed because the, the life of samsara is so busy, so frantic, that one's world around, one does, even though the still point's always here, it's never seen till you take time, take, give the, have the occasion to abide in the stillness rather than go around on the circumference. Now, stillness isn't something to attach to, are they? We're not, we're not trying to become people who are still. This kind of uh, uh, just, just sitting here in stillness, not feeling anything. Uh, I mean, sometimes when people come into a room of meditators they, who don't understand what's happening, they think, oh, they just sit there. They don't even talk to each other. They just sit there with their eyes closed. Who knows what's going on in their mind? They don't, they don't even talk to each other. They don't do anything. It's really terrible. Because it might look to the, to the person who doesn't know what's happening as a very selfish kind of indulgence. Where each one of us comes in here and says, I don't want to know you. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. We each go into, a, into our own personal world. I know some of you are still lolling about in your own personal world, aren't you? <laughs> I know that happens quite a bit. Some of you come in here and then you, then you create a personal world that you can kind of live with. inhabit for the, for the hour of meditation. But that's not, that's, that's, uh, that's not the way out of suffering, is it? Because that, that very subjective and personal world is very dependent on things being a certain way, isn't it? It's so fragile and so ephemeral that uh, it... Uh, is just destroyed in the, in, with the slightest uh, disruption. In this, in this kind of refined world of tranquility. So lovely and so peaceful. And then somebody moves. Their robes rustle. Somebody burps. <laughs> Somebody's stomach growls. Somebody snores. <laughs> this is disgusting, isn't it? To have to come out of, to be disrupted out of this refined, tranquil state by these <coughs> coarse bodily functions and <laughs> I'd like to go and meditate on my own in the cave or become a hermit where my personal world will be very refined and won't have, the, won't have so many because when you have a room this big with this many people in it there can be a lot of noises can't there but stillness isn't, isn't tranquility is it it's not not necessarily you're tranquil, but there's stillness. And to know the stillness, the silence, and be able to, to trust in, in abiding in the silence, rather than these compulsive tendencies we all have to, to think we've got to be doing something. This is one of the great problems, I think, with, with the Western people especially, 
is that we are so conditioned to, to, to do things that even meditation becomes some kind of, kind of uh, compulsive activity that we're involved in. Develop this, develop that, and, and I have to develop my samadhi, and I have to develop the jhanas, and develop the insights, and develop this. You don't just sit there, you just start developing something. <laughs> you don't just come in here and sit, you, you come in here and develop. <laughs> Because that's how we think, isn't it? We don't come in here to, we think we just come in and sit. Well, we feel guilty, don't we? You, you're not doing anything, you're not progressing, developing, getting anywhere. And yet, to be able to come in here and sit in stillness is really quite a, not a very easy thing to do, is it? much easier to, to make projects and development projects, great med- meditation development projects, five-year plans and <laughs> so forth. <laughs> and with all that, you, you'll inevitably end up at the still point where things are as they are. Now that can sound rather, where the people, many people find the jhanas very attractive because there's a sense of personal attainment in that and it's generally regarded in that way as, have you ever done, have you ever attained the jhanas? Have you, do you have miraculous powers? To say, people have asked me, have you, do you have miraculous powers? No. Can't do anything miraculous. <laughs> what a boring monk. <laughs> so then they project, they think I'm just being modest, so they project things on it. Think, oh, Ajahn Tomato says he can't, but his monks can't say anything about it. But, but then they'll start saying, well, you know, he reads minds. <laughs> because every time I go see him, you know, I hear him give a talk, he always says something, he's always answering the exact question I'm asking. So he reads my mind. So they think I'm sitting up here, I think, you know, now Bill is thinking this. <laughs> Siripanya has got this in her mind. Debbie. And that's not it at all. Yeah. Because there's, there's not a matter of, of me being able to do anything uh, other than, than, say, on the conventional plane of being able to walk into this room and sit down. <laughs> but there's uh, more and more is there the letting go of, of the desire to develop and become anything and as one's mind is freed from all that desire to become and get something and attain something then truth starts revealing itself it's, it's ever present here and now it's a matter of just opening and being able to be, to be open and sensitive so it is revealed rather, it's not something that, that is revealed from, from outside. It's always present but we don't see it if we're caught up in the idea of attainment, of me having to do something, me having to get something. And then the Buddha made this direct uh, attack on the me and mine. A brilliant attack. <laughs> that's the only thing that, that's, that's, that's blocking you up. That, that, that's 
the obstacle is the attachment to the self, to a self view. That's what that's what is the problem. If you just see through that and let go of that, then you'll understand the rest. You don't need to know all the other the kind of elaborate uh, kind of esoteric formulas and vast kind of uh, ideals and altruistic uh, ideas of of the human heart or anything. You don't have to go endlessly on in into uh, into the complexities. If you just let go of the ignorant view of I am, if you can let, see that and, and know how and understand the way of letting go, the way of non-attachment, then the truth reveals itself wherever you are all the time. But until you do that, uh, then you'll always be caught in these, in all the, the you'll, you'll be making problems, creating problems, complications. Avicca bhajaya sankara, sankara bhajaya vinyanang, vinyana bhajaya namarupang, namarupa bhajaya salayatanang, salayatanang, salayatana bhajaya pasa, pasa bhajaya vedana, vedana bhajaya dhamma. Dana Baddeya Upadhanang Upadhana Baddeya Pawa Pavo Baddeya Jati Jati Baddeya Jaramarana Sokapariteva Tukatomanasa Upayasa. That's all you'll get for the rest of your life. It's a pretty boring prospect, isn't it? that all you're going to ever get at the end of it is old age, sickness, death, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. And that's all you'll get if you keep, if you insist on being attached to the illusions of a self. And to greed, hatred, and delusion. That's all you'll get. That's all that's possible is just despair. But you can you can be free from that here and now through this right understanding, the samaditi, seeing things in the right way, knowing the truth. No longer deluded by the appearances or by the habits or the tendencies the conditions around us. So I offer this for your reflection.